Uh, we're continuing our series this morning on uh, community. One of our SunWest values is, uh, is community. We believe that life change happens best in community. Uh, and this year, as you know, we're um, focusing on our values throughout the different sermon series. So for the month of February, uh, we are focusing on community. And the way that we're doing that is actually looking at the book of, or the Gospel of Luke and different meals that Jesus has. Uh, because often when we do community, it's around food, it's around drink. Um, and even if we're, we're going out to meet with people and not in our homes, we're often doing it at a restaurant or at a coffee shop. Uh, and so that, that's a part of what draws us together. And in the book of Luke, Jesus is either uh, going to a meal or coming from a meal. And a lot of his examples and his metaphors are actually have to do with food and banquets and feasts. Uh, and so meals and food is significant in the gospel of Luke. And if you remember from last week, uh, the, in the, even in the gospel of Luke, it says the son of man came what? What did he come doing? Wow. You guys were a brand new crowd this, year, this week. Uh, eat and drink. The son of, so th there's a few references. One of the, the son of man came. Uh, to serve, not to be served. The Son of Man came to seek and save uh, those who are lost. Uh, but how did he come? The third reference is saying the Son of Man came eating and drinking. Uh, that's what he was doing. Uh, that's how he spent his time, much of his time. Uh, so much so that he was accused of being a, a glutton and a drunkard. Uh, so it was a big deal. Uh, Jesus did community around the table, around food, around drink, like we do. Uh, our family, we, we, you know, every evening we sit around the table and have supper together. We learn lots about each other. Uh, this past week, we were sitting around the table, uh, my wife and I and our, our three boys. Um, they're 10, 8, and 6. Did I get that right? 10, <laughs> ten 8, and 6. Um, and our 8-year-old, our, our middle son, you know, he kept talking in quotations, you know, hey dad, you know, just, you know, he kept doing this. And I was like, Luke, do you even know what, you know, quotations mean? And he's like, yeah, you know, when you're telling a story and someone in the story is talking and, uh, and you want to, you know, say that they're talking and so you use quotations. And we say, well, most often the time when people use quotations, they're actually using sarcasm, which means they're meaning the opposite of what they're saying. And to which my six-year-old pipes up and says, yeah, Luke, like, you're really good at drawing. <laughs> I was surprised that he picked up on sarcasm so quickly. It was, uh, it was a good moment. Um, so anyways, we learn, we learn lots around the table. Uh, this morning we're looking at Luke chapter 14. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, our ushers uh, will come forward and you can... Uh, take one from them, just put up your hand. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to take uh, one of those home with you. Uh, Luke chapter 14, verse 1. Uh, we'll, read, uh, we'll read up to verse uh, 14. One Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home. Uh, eating dinner again of a leader of the Pharisees. And so last week we learned about, we talked a little bit about the Pharisees, right? The religious elite, uh, they cared about holiness and purity. Uh, and so he went to eat home, uh, he went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees and they were watching him closely. 
There was a man there whose arms and legs were swollen. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the religious law, is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? So the Pharisees, uh, they believe that you shouldn't do any work on the Sabbath day. And so they, they actually worked really hard to find what work was. And, and so Jesus asked them, can I even heal people on the Sabbath day or not? When they refused to answer, Jesus touched the sick man and healed him and sent him away. Then he turned to them and said, which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? If your son or your cow falls into a pit, don't you rush to get him out? Again, they could not answer. When Jesus, no Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the, ta of the table, he gave them this advice. So probably, how many of you guys have like spots around the kitchen table? Like this is where you sit, you know, and if you came into my house and you sat in the wrong spot, my kids will let you know, that's my, that's my spot. Uh, this is dad's spot. So, you know, si similar in that, in that culture, there was positions of status around the table. And uh, so the person with the, the highest status would sit in the, at the head of the table and then, uh, and then it would actually, the sequence away from that person would be the sequence uh, of status. And so they're trying to get seats of honor near the head of the table. And he gave them this advice. When you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. Wait if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited. The host will come and say, give this person your seat, then you will be embarrassed and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you'll be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then he turned to his host. When he put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Lots of good stuff in that section, in that teaching that Jesus gives. Uh, a little bit of background. If you look at Leviticus 21, 17, verse 17 to 23, we won't read it right now. Um, but you will, you will see the, the list of people there that aren't allowed in the temple in the Old Testament. Uh, the place where they've, the, the Jews believe that God resided more uniquely than anywhere else on the earth. And there were certain people that didn't actually have access to the temple. Uh, and they, those were people like the lame, the cripple, the poor, the blind. Um, those who had issues with their testicles. It's true. Look in Leviticus 21. Uh, so it's very specific. Um, I don't know how they check that at the temple. Um, hey, we just got to check you out here. No. Uh, so... You weren't allowed to go into the temple if you had, if these things were wrong with you, if you had these, these issues. It's significant because in Matthew 21, Jesus, after he kind of turns over a table and he cleans the temple, uh, as the scriptures say, he turns and he heals the cripple, the blind, and the lame at the temple. See, what the Pharisees were doing, they were taking uh, temple law and they were trying to extend it to their own homes. Because they believed that 
you know, we had to become, we have to be as pure as we possibly can. So let's take, you know, all the things that God's actually told us about the temple, let's take those things and apply them even to our own homes and be that religious, that pure. Um, and so they didn't even allow the lame, the cripples, the, um, and other issues into their own homes. And Jesus actually does the exact opposite. He comes and he, he actually goes to the temple and he heals, uh, he heals those folks. And when he sits around the table in the homes, he eats with those folks. And last week we talked about the importance of what Jesus has done for us as the foundation of community. Um, and so I think it's important just to pause and reflect that according to Scripture, we are spiritually poor. Regardless of your economic status, you are spiritually poor. That you have nothing that you can offer God for your salvation because you're poor. We're spiritually crippled. We're powerless because of sin in our lives. And we're in need of help and assistance. We're in need of God's intervention. We're spiritually blind. We're unable to see the truth about Jesus. We see this over and over again in the Gospels, especially when Jesus is healing people that are blind. Uh, as a, uh, it's a picture of spiritual blindness throughout the Gospels. And so we need Jesus to open our eyes. We're spiritually lame. We're unable to come to God on our own. And so the beginning and the foundation of Christian community is actually recognizing our own poverty. Recognizing that we're blind, we're crippled, and we're lame. And our attitudes towards the marginalized are shaped by our understanding of God's grace towards us. Because God welcomes us to his table and he welcomes us to his party, uh, we welcome everyone to ours. We talked about last week about community being this... Uh, this radical, the Christian community being this radical community of interdependence, which is really a place where we can all give and receive. It's not just the same people giving and giving, giving, the same people all, all receiving, but people that are all participating together. And in Luke 14, as we just read, Jesus talks to, uh, to guests, and he's like, when you're a guest at somebody's house, do this. And he talks to hosts. And so guests and hosts is a good example of uh, people that are receiving, people that are giving. You know, this is how we function together. When Jesus would sit around a meal, it was an enactment of the kingdom of God. It was actually where uh, the economy of God, the, the, the roles of people in God's kingdom is played out in real, real time and real life. That we, we realize there is no status. There is no barriers. There is no levels of hierarchy. It's the great reversal of the kingdom of God. If you look at, in Matthew 5, you'll, you'll recognize that, that Jesus takes the dynamics of our worldly kingdoms, our empires, uh, both in Rome in biblical times, but also in Calgary in today's times, and says it's actually the exact opposite. Those who exalt themselves will be humble. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's, it's the other way around. It's the great reversal. Uh, when I was, uh, you know, in college, I was and I was dating uh, Lisa, who would eventually become my wife. Uh, she was in Calgary working. I was at uh, the college in Saskatchewan I was going to. And, uh, you know, I was in love and I wanted to marry her. And so I, you know, I planned to come to Calgary to, um, to propose and to su surprise her. And uh, so me and her sister, we drove to Calgary. Uh, and I set up, the, I set up their house, um, you know, nicely spare you the details and uh, she she comes home and 
Uh, she walks in, I surprise her, I propose to her, and much to my surprise, uh, she said yes. And I bet she didn't know where I was going with that. She said yes. And when she said yes, we wanted to celebrate, and so I said, let's go to the Calgary Tower. Uh, so we went to the Calgary Tower for our engagement supper, and it's really the first time in my life I've been, you know, I'm from small town Manitoba, went to college in small town Saskatchewan. And so it was like the first time I'd like actually been in like an urban, nice restaurant. Um, and we had like this private booth overlooking the city. It was beautiful. Um, you know, the, the waitress comes and, you know, can I grab you an appetizer? Well, of course, for sure. You know, we're, we just got engaged. I'll let you know, we got engaged and we're celebrating. Um, you know, we're, we're not holding back tonight. And so, we, you know, order the appetizers. Uh, we go to order the meal. And I'm basically looking, what's the most expensive thing on the menu? That's probably the best thing. And so I, I spent a lot of money for a very little amount of food. Um, but uh, hey, I guess that's what you do at fancy restaurants. So, you know, we're living up the moment. We're celebrating. Waitress comes back. You know, uh, can I get you some dessert? Well, of course. You know, we're, we're here. We're celebrating our engagement. And, um, you know, so we just enjoyed the night. And... You know, they bring the bill, and I was like, wow, that's a lot of money, but, you know, that's okay. This is like, you know, I only get, hopefully, I only get engaged once in my life. Um, and, and so I go to pay, and I pay, put my debit card in, and it, it reads out insufficient funds. Lisa's like, are you, she's trying to read my face, are you okay, is everything? I was like, yeah, I think I just, you know, I'm buying time. I'm like, uh, I think I just you know, punch the numbers in wrong, let's try, let's try again, and uh, sure enough, insufficient funds. And uh, then proceeded one of the most humiliating moments of my life where I had to turn to her and say, any way that you have any, do you have any money on you? Can you, can you cover this? Um, and it's been the same ever since. Uh, you know, so, humiliating because you know, as a, as a guy, it's like you want to start this marriage. You know, I'm going to provide for my family, provide for my wife. You know, you want to impress the father-in-law. You know, can you imagine going home and saying, you know, Matt actually didn't even have money to pay for supper. Because um, I blew all the student loan money I had left on the engagement ring. Um, so we began bankrupt. Uh, but, you know, it's this, this expectation in our culture that, you know, the guy, um, you know, the the guy pays and the guy provides and, you know, I had this expectation and in this moment it gets flipped, turned upside down and, uh, and I had to be okay with, in, you know, going to Lisa in humility saying, I need you to cover for me. Um, but the kingdom is like that. You know, we have these cultural expectations and, and Jesus is actually saying, I need, I'm asking you to be, uh, to respond in humility and turn it upside down because it's the humble that will be exalted. It's the people that are willing to swallow their pride and to become the least uh, that will actually be the most. Uh, and as we read in the, what, what, Jesus, what Jesus was just saying is that if you only invite people to the party that are like you, that reciprocate what you give to them, because that was the culture at the time, that you only do, people, do things for people that are on the same status level as you because then they can reciprocate what you've done for them. Uh, I don't know if it's, much that, if it's that different today, actually. Um, but he's, he said, if you only do that with people that can reciprocate what you've done for them, uh, then that's the only reward you're going to get. But 
if you actually humble yourself, become the least of these, and um, have people that are unlike you around the table with you, then great is your reward at the resurrection. And so Jesus elevates um, the, the, the rewards in, in his kingdom, in his coming kingdom, uh, if we're willing to flip turn our culture, um, the values of our culture upside down. I'm going to read a, a quote from Christine Pohl that I think kind of demonstrates uh, this quite well. Uh, Often we maintain significant boundaries when offering help to persons in need. Many churches prepare and serve meals in, to hungry neighbors, but few, churches me- few church members find it easy to sit and eat with those who need the meal. When people are very different from ourselves, we often find it more comfortable to cook and clean for them than to share in a meal and conversation. We are familiar with roles as helpers, but are less certain about being equals eating together. Many of us struggle with simply being present with people in need. Our helping roles give definition to the relationship, but they also keep it decidedly hierarchical. We think we're enacting grace if we provide for the poor, but we're only halfway there. We've missed the social dynamics. What we communicate is that we're able and you're unable. I can do something for you, but you can do nothing for me. I'm superior to you. We cloak our superiority in compassion, but superiority cloaked in compassion is patronizing. So Jesus is saying, don't just invite people to the meal that are like you. Jesus has an ethic of grace. Not just inviting people that can give back to you in the same way that you give back to them. It's creating a countercultural society in the midst of a worldly empire. Simply writing checks to the poor, keep the poor at a distance. But Jesus wasn't known for writing checks. He was actually known for being a friend of sinners, a friend of tax collectors, a friend of the poor. And why was he considered their friend? Because he actually sat with them and shared a meal with them. The host in the story we're inviting people that were just like them, that could only reciprocate what they could give. Um, I, I even remember that on the engagement night, um, we, we were already talking about our guest list for a wedding. It, you know, Lisa's a planner, right? She's, she's going into the guest list right away. And I remember having this conversation because I was in the middle of college. She just came from the same college. We had all these college friends. And we're like, do we actually want to invite our college friends? Because they won't bring anything to the wedding. Honestly, I think we had like 40 college friends that came. And I don't know if, I think we might have got two wedding gifts um, out of those 40 friends. And it's like, we're going to, uh, we're going to pay for this meal. Um, and it costs so much money a, pl- a plate. I can't even afford the engagement plate. But anyways, so we're talking. It was like, we're going to pay for this meal. And they can't even reciprocate the value of the meal and, and give us a wedding gift in return. But we, we decided to have the least of these among us at our wedding. Um, <laughs> and they came and they ate. Um, but we do that. It's like, can we have over people that are on the same level as us that are going to be able to give back to us? But Jesus is saying, no. Like the kingdom of God is actually completely the other way. I want you to give to those that actually can't give back to you. And not in a position of hierarchy or superiority, but in one where you're actually sharing a meal, you're sharing life with them. And it's fascinating. When you look at Jesus, you realize that um, he understands what it what it means to be in a position of power, but he also understands what it means to be the least of these. Uh, 
Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself. He gave up his godness. He took on the very nature of a servant, Philippians 2. And so God knows what it's like to be in a position of authority and power and status and to actually let go of it to share in the world of those who are less than him or um, who are the least of these, you and I. But when you look at scripture, you also realize that Jesus is most often in these meals is the guest. He's not the host, he's the guest. He's, uh, you know, when the couple of times in scriptures where he actually handles money, he doesn't have money on him. He doesn't have money. And he says, uh, he talks about not having a place to lay his head. So you have this, this homeless, poor rabbi who is the guest in people's homes. But he's also God who has given up his position to be with the least of these. So no matter where you might find yourself on an economic scale or, or where you might put yourself in a position of status, Jesus, um, Jesus can resonate. He can sympathize with you. I just want to read the rest of Luke 14 here. Um, Luke 14, verse 15. Um, sorry, just the verse 24 here. So hearing this man sitting at the table, Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Right, so Jesus is describing like what a banquet looks like in God's kingdom. And you can just picture this man of status just being like, oh man, that, that would be so great to be at a banquet in the kingdom of God. And it's like, I don't know if you quite understand this. And so Jesus kind of dives deeper into the story. Because the kingdom of God, to those people that have status and wealth, um, comes across like something that's too costly. Because if you're in a position of status and wealth, it actually requires you to give, not to receive. And that's why the kingdom, uh, you know, we see through scripture, is, is, feels more, it seems more accessible to the poor and the cripple and the broken uh, because they're actually in a place where they need to receive and they're ready to receive and they're more responsive to the kingdom. But it's often people that are wealthy um, that have trouble entering the kingdom. So Jesus says it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle because it feels like we have more to lose. And I say we because I think we're in a culture uh, where many of us enjoy a level of status and wealth. So Jesus replied to this man at the story, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell his guests, come, to, come the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I now have a wife, so I can't come. I got better things to do. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Same list again. After that, the servant had, had done this. He reported, there's still, more, there's still room for more. So his master said, go into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. 
that last line. None of the ones that I first invited will get the smallest test of my, taste of my banquet. We, we see this theme in Luke that judgment is pictured as hospitality refused. Judgment is hospitality refused. That we're on the outside looking in on God's banquet, on his feast. We were invited, but for whatever reason, we made excuses and said, yeah, I'm not going to join. And it's often the wealthy, the rich, and those that with status don't join because they feel like they have more to lose when they join. Uh, it, it, the next chapter, you look at the prodigal, the story of the lost son, and it's actually not about the lost son, it's about the older son, not about the younger brother, the older son. You know, the younger son spends everything on wild living, makes a whole bunch of mistakes, and the father extends grace to him, invites him back to a feast around the table. And then the older son is on the outside looking in, and the father says, you know, come, join us. Join us at the feast. Your brother's home. And the older son says, he, well, we actually don't know what happens, but at that point in the story, he refuses to actually go inside. He refuses to go inside because for him, it was more costly for him to actually go inside. Why was it more costly? I'm not preaching on this passage, so... I won't get into it too far, but at the beginning of the story, the father divides his inheritance, what? In half. In that moment, gives half to the older brother, gives half to the younger brother. The younger brother comes back. At whose expense? The older brother's, because he has, he owns the other half. How many of us are older brothers who feel like the kingdom of God actually comes at a cost to us. And so we stay on the outside looking in. But the judgment described in Scripture, in, in Luke particularly, uh, is simply hospitality refused because we're too proud. I'm going to invite a couple of friends to stage with me. Um, Art and Anita Thiessen. Uh, I want you to give them a hand as they, they come up. And so I'm going to sit around the table with the least of these. Thank you guys for, for joining me. Um, actually, I've got to get you guys a microphone. Um, no, you just yell really, really loud. Uh, there we go. So we're, we're exploring this, the concept of hospitality. And... Uh, and I know, just because I know Art and Anita, that they, they actually practice radical hospitality um, in many different ways. Um, and I wanted to invite them to share a little bit with us about what that radical hospitality has looked like. Uh, there's a specific event they did, you know, this past Christmas uh, that I want them to, to talk about. Uh, but before that, we get to the Christmas event. I'm just wondering if you guys can share with us um, a little bit of... Uh, you know, why you've opened your home uh, and, you know, why you think that's important um, and without getting to the specifics of the Christmas thing yet, but just, yeah, just tell us why you've done that and the types of things that you guys have done. Well, the why is hard. Um, part of it is just because situations land in our laps. <laughs> um, but for me, um, growing up in farm and, and the home that I grew up in, my parents 
it's like a no-brainer. So you just, they just have modeled that for me growing up. And um, I think for me personally, art may speak differently, but it's, I'm not great with the home stuff. My friends who know me well know that about me. Um, but my home is not my own. It's God's. And my kids are God's. And who we are and what God does with our lives is up to him. And I want my home to be a reflection of his heart for people. So, um, in general terms, because uh, you guys have many different types of folks in your house, and um, you guys are pretty normal. Um, and you guys have a certain status, just in terms of, you know, you're married, you got kids, you, you own a home, you both have jobs. Um, but often the people that you're having in your homes don't share necessarily in that same status, their stories are quite different. Um, so can you just share a little bit without, you know, breaching confidentiality, you know, the types of stories that you guys have actually encountered as you've invited those folks in your home? Uh, well, throughout the year, I don't know, it, stuff just comes to us. It's so weird. And uh, so, I don't know, going back years here, when our kids were young, we had a mom and, and her little boy that were, I don't even remember how I met them, to be honest, but they stayed with us for a while, quite a while, um, and they had just nowhere to go, and her her boyfriend at the time, who, it was really weird because he had the same last name as us, um, but he was stalking them, so they were in danger, and uh, he'd already stalked her even at the women's shelter and stuff. So so there was a danger aspect involved there, and they stayed with us just, I, I don't know, it just came. And, uh, and then when we first came to SunWest, there was one situation um, where I think it, Willie called and said, so I kind of hear you have done this before, but would you take this young kind of couple in? And they weren't really a couple, couple, but... Um, and Willie's the name of a former yeah, pastor. Sorry. It. And, it's ambiguous. Uh, Willie. Yeah, so they stayed with us for a while till we could get them a place, and they were homeless as well and had lots of issues and um, on the street, and there was just so many layers to that one. Um, but they just stayed with us until we could, and the church helped out, of course, with getting them set up in a new place and stuff like that, and um, there's been a few different yeah, ones. Well, that's good. Just, just having pa people. painting a bit picture of kind of what you guys do and what you have done, um, and specifically this this Christmas. Um, Art, can you tell us a little bit about? Uh, yes. Yes, I can. Yeah. That. Okay. <laughs> um, just a little bit about the the event that you guys did this Christmas. Um, you guys hosted a home. Um, and it was, uh, there's an individual that you guys have been connected to for, for years that you've been building a relationship with that, that SunWest has journeyed with uh, as a church and has been a part of, uh, you know, uh, our benevolence ministry. Um, but you guys actually have established a relationship with 
with them over the course of those years, um, and it was on your heart to do something at Christmas time. So tell us a little bit about what, uh, yeah, the details around that and how that happened. Sure. So <clears throat> Anita at one point uh, came to me and said she had had this kind of picture of um, putting on a banquet. You know, this was this was I don't know November-ish, something like that. So she had just come from meeting with uh, this individual that we, you know, Matt's mentioning, and and uh, had gotten to know some of his friends as well, some of his, you know, some of the people that he's he's with, and, and uh, all of them kind of in dire straits, similar situations. Um, none of them having the kind of situation where Christmas time, you know, they're, they're not going to be going to their families for a big turkey dinner, nothing like that. They don't have that. So Anita had this picture of, I'd like to put a banquet on for them, you know, have it in our home. Um, nothing, you know, nothing super extravagant, but something special, something that where they would be made to feel special. And um, so you got to understand some, somewhat maybe the dynamics in how Anita and I approach these things differently. If you know Anita, she's very compassionate. She's very, um, she's got a heart for people uh, in need. You know, these kinds of, she's like a magnet for these kinds of situations. You know, and then, and then there's me, like, I, I don't really like people that much. <laughs> and uh, so, so when, when she brought this up with me, well, the first thing I start thinking about is, uh, yeah, but then we'd have to do this and this and this, and we got this other stuff, and we're really busy, and, and then the kids are coming home, and we got the pets that mess up the house, and all that kind of stuff, right? And I think it's, yeah, I don't know. It's a, nice, it's, a, it's a really nice idea, but, and that's how my brain starts going. Fortunately, I, I tend to listen to my wife more than I listen to myself. Um, so in this situation, um, she just started kind of getting the ball rolling. And, you know, she, she, she has a network of people that she can kind of call into action in some ways. Yeah, like our small group, all of our small group brought a piece of the meal because I was working all day and didn't have time. Somebody even came over and helped me set the table. Um, it wasn't a two-man show by any stretch of the imagination. And then others came. There were a few people that came from our Caring Ministries team um, to just be a part of it, to make them feel like family, right? It's, that we're all just there together. And But everybody, everybody chipped in. So. Yeah. And... Uh, so, yeah, all of that to say, it, was, it seemed like a big deal initially, but it actually was not that hard to pull off. And even for myself, you know, I thought, I, there's a bunch of the stuff I'm not great at. But, yeah, I can pick everybody up. I can drive them around. I can be a taxi driver for the day or for the night kind of thing. And if it takes an hour to pick them up and then drop them off afterwards, and even if not all of them know exactly where they live, uh, which in one case was... One fellow actually couldn't tell me his address, so... The only one that had an address didn't know where it was. <laughs> so I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm, about, I'm about 90% sure that I dropped him off at the right house. Um, and the other aspect of that, too, is we, we got our kids involved. Um, they were all back from university, and uh, so we thought, hey, how about if they put on some music? Um, and again, for me, like that was kind of Anita's idea for me, I thought... Are they going to want to do this? Is it going to come up and kind of sound kind of hokey to them? Or, you know, you know and are the people that we're having over going to actually want to listen to them? Um, and as it turned out, it was great. And you looked around the room and you saw the people. It was really meaningful to them. And, uh, yeah, so 
That's awesome. Yeah, great story. Um, and you know, I know you guys didn't. You don't do that out of out of a desire to be recognized. Right? Often I hear you know rumblings of these stories, and you know, invite them to share as a source of encouragement. Um, uh, but you know, you, you look at that event, and it feels like an event. Right, you got the you got the feast, you got the meals, you got the music, you got the um, you know. For most of us, you look at that as like, oh, okay, that sounds that sounds exhausting. Um, but but you guys have hosted often in the ordinary, mundane. Like this is kind of an exception. Um, Anita, can you tell us a little bit about just you know what life is like when you've hosted in situations where they're just part of your ordinary, mundane life? Uh, maybe even the you know, your friend that you've been having over at the house regularly in these recent months and, and how ordinary that is. Okay, so I'm not a really domestic goddess or anything. Like, it's not my strength in life by any stretch of the imagination. So my house is not perfect. There's stains on the carpets and stuff doesn't get cleaned and blah 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 so and art lives there I've, and so I'm, yeah I'm, I'm actually the goddess of the house yeah, yeah. no it's it's true like literally even if we have our small group over i don't remember to do coffee because i'm too busy chatting with people and so i forget he's the one getting out stuff like practically thinking of the typical kitchen stuff and i just it just goes and uh so I'm not great at that stuff. It is a stretch for me, but again, even for that night, um, I know people who are <laughs> and get them to help, so it's awesome. But um, with regular stuff, I've, I've really had to let that go that it's not perfect at my house, it never is. And we're, you know, it's busy and that's okay, right? So, um, but through the year, what Matt's referring to is uh, this past year, one of my closest friends has been walking through an incredible crisis, and they have been just coming and staying with us uh, about every month or so for about a week, and just for some healing and a safe place to be. So, yeah. yeah and it's, you know, when they've come, it's often without warning or it's been quick or no sometimes they're literally like an hour out of town and they live 11 hours away so yeah. they'll be like okay we're almost there oh yeah <laughs> but you just roll with it so in the in the story of luke 14 this will be the last question i have for you guys um people came with all these excuses you know this is uh, this is why we can't come um so when you think of the excuses that you know, each of you are different personalities, which you've talked about, you have different gifts. And so I think there's probably excuses that rise up for each of you on, on why you can't be hospitable or reasons why you shouldn't be doing this. Uh, can you let us into your, you, you just did a little bit, but just in, in that internal dialogue and these are the excuses that come up that I have to push through and say, you know, that's not, that's not a good, ex good enough excuse. We're gonna go ahead anyways. Yeah, so one thing I, I was thinking about <clears throat> is that we've kind of in some ways lost the, the art of just dropping in on people or having people drop in on us. Um, and I, it's funny because I think when we kind of plan things a week ahead, we're going we're gonna to have somebody over a week from now, two weeks from now, it gives us more time just to get anxious about that. And we start thinking, oh, next week that means we gotta, we're going to have to clean the house. You know, 
we're gonna have to clean it a lot because we got pets and they you know and the kids are gonna mess stuff up and and we're so busy and, and what if I don't sleep tonight before? and it just gives us all this time to get worked up and it, if somebody just drops in on us we don't have time to get anxious they're just there and and you think you know I think we've all had times when people have dropped in on us or we've dropped in on somebody else and how many times has that been absolutely disastrous you know where you show up at somebody's house they open the door crack it open and they say you can't come in it's just death and chaos and destruction behind this door please go away give me two weeks notice next time kind of thing that doesn't happen right whereas a lot of times those drop-in kind of things they actually work out amazingly and and we often think back and, th and go wow if we had actually tried to plan that it maybe never would have happened and maybe never would have turned out the way it did so mm. I, I think uh, especially yeah. if you're coming to play settlers or board games right you can drop it anytime, anytime. Awesome. And how about you, Anita? The, the excuses, you just had a little bit about the, you know, getting over having to have everything perfect and set up. Uh, would, would, be, would that be the main one for you? Yeah, I battle that. Yeah. All right. Yeah, but uh, should it stop anything? No. Yeah, yeah and I... Um, it does invite people into your mess, to be honest. Right. And. And I, I actually find people who are more like us, I don't know what to, how to put that, more intimidating. <laughs> uh, right. and because their houses are better than mine, right? It, it's that, and as, I think as moms, we especially feel that way. Um, yeah, I battle it, but I, I don't, I don't want to stop God and what he can do in relationship. And I think of that night. My house wasn't perfect. These are people, well, one of them had been to my house many times, but the others had never been to my house. And did I kind of think, oh, man, I wish I could have new carpet right now. Yeah. But that night, what happened was a whole new level of, of trust. And the one individual we've had over lots, so he he's used to it. But, um, but the other ones, there was a, there was a level of, depth and trust and honesty that started that night that has started a whole new ripple effect in how we can reach out and minister to them as well so that's worth it to me awesome. but despite my stupid anxieties mm -hmm. awesome well, let's give art and anita a hand thank you guys for sharing being vulnerable with your story and letting us uh into your story um uh, you know, it, it strikes me that it, it's when we feel like we have to present and um, have everything perfect that that kind of enforces this, you know, idea of hierarchy and status. Um, and there's something freeing that happens when you um, when you go into somebody's home and there's like a, oh, you're not perfect, me neither. Like it's just like this. It's just like this, you can exhale all of a sudden, right? Versus buying into this lie that, why does everybody have perfect homes but us? Um, but we're only seeing each other's homes when we're presenting them, right? And so how do we get through that need to present? Um, and, uh, you know, opening that bedroom that we threw all of our junk into before everybody came over and, and we open it up and say, hey, this is us. Um, and uh, for me, it's like, ah, I'm not the only one. Um, and so there's something disarming that happens when we let people into a bit of our chaos. Uh, in fact, if everything's too perfect, it almost makes it feel uncomfortable. Uh, there's a level of comfort that comes with 
just feeling like you're part of somebody's normal life and it's not, they're not presenting for you, they're not putting on an event for you, they're just inviting you into their world. Um, so when I think of excuses, and, and Art and Anita talked about them, uh, but just to summarize some of them, I think we don't engage in this level of hospitality, one, because it's too scary, because we feel like we're on display, our house needs to be clean, or the quality of food we're self-conscious about. We got some friends that are like amazing cooks, right? And so, you know, I, when I think about having them over our house, it's like, wow, we can't cook like them, so do we really want to have them over? But if the aim is to impress, you feel this anxiety and this pressure. But if the aim is to love, then that pressure and anxiety isn't there. I think we have to be free, uh, not, or not be afraid to tell people to go home. To be honest, right? We have people in our houses, and um, it's okay to have boundaries. Um, and uh, you know, I got one friend who said, when there's people over at his house he, and they're visiting with his wife, he just says, um, "I'm going to bed. Um, you guys can stay as long as you want, but uh, I'm going to bed." And he just leaves. And uh, I think that's okay. We got to give ourselves the freedom uh, not to feel the pressure to, um, yeah, to to be something we're not. Um, I think it's. Often we think it's too costly, right? We, food costs money. Uh, hospitality costs time. Uh, things get broken. Uh, you know, in my own story, where I, I had over some folks, uh, you, you guys will know Chris and Amanda King. Chris used to be a past, pastor here. Uh, they got three boys. We had them all over, and they were going crazy upstairs. It sounded like they were having a good old time. We just heard stuff falling and... Um, you know, it sounded violent, but we're like, hey, they're boys, they're having a good time, that's good. Um, six boys in the upstairs. And at the end of the night, we went upstairs to find one of our doors um, lying on the ground. Um, one of the hinges was pulled off and the other one was bent off the door frame and it was just kind of like <clears throat> hanging on the ground. And it was like, yeah, there's a cost to having people over at our house. Um, the kings haven't been back, but we... It was nice to be in community with them for a short amount of time. Um, then they went to Texas and life moved on. But, the, uh, um, but it's costly to have people over at your house. It, 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 and so, you know, even if you, don't, if you don't feel you can have a full meal, well, why not have people over for a dessert or for a coffee? Or, you know, it's not like you have to have the whole music and band and light show that Art and Anita had. Um, you can, you can do, we can do it very simply. Uh, I think another excuse we have is we're too busy. Uh, we live in a culture, you know, when we talk to people, it's like, how's it going? Well, I'm really busy. Um, and, I, and I get that. Um, but maybe if we're busy, we have to intentionally um, block off times in our schedules that, to be hospitable. Um, and sometimes it's not only having people over at our house, sometimes it's actually saying yes when we're inviting over to someone else's house. Um, are we willing to accept invitations? Are we willing to uh, let our schedules actually be, uh, be affected uh, by allowing the, the mess of relationship into our lives? And I don't think, I think maybe scheduling, maybe that's something that we need to do in our culture. Uh, we don't have that drop-in culture. So, you know, maybe a good interim space is to say, hey, you know, we got a night a week or two nights a week or whatever it is that we've just left time open. Because uh, we have three meals a day, typically, most of us have three meals a day, seven times a week. There's 21 opportunities to actually be missionally intentional uh, in what we're doing, who we're eating with, um, who we're inviting over. Um, so what, what would it look like to take two of those 21 meals and say, 
you know what, let's, let's think a bit more intentionally about how we engage in community, um, how we be missional uh, around the table. Uh, I'm going to invite the band up, and while the band's coming up, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a quote for you by a theologian and chef named Simon Carey Holt. He said, It's good to be reminded that the table is a very ordinary place, a place so routine and every day it's easily overlooked as a place of ministry. And this busyness, or sorry, this business of hospitality that lies at the heart of Christian mission, it's a very ordinary thing. It's not rocket science, nor is it terribly glamorous. Yet, it is the very ordinariness of the table and of the ministry we exercise there that renders these elements of Christian, faith, Christian life so important to the mission of the church. Most of what you do as a community of hospitality will go unnoticed and unrecognized. At base, hospitality is about providing a space for God's spirit to move. Setting a table, cooking a meal, washing the dishes is the ministry of facilitation. Providing a context in which people feel loved and welcome and where God's spirit can be at work in their lives. Hospitality is a very ordinary business, but in its ordinariness is its real worth. I think it's time that we actually get intentional with the ordinary. Uh, and our hope in this series is that we, we actually elevate the value of ordinary things like a meal and say, um, this, this, this ordinary place around the table was Jesus' primary avenue for actually creating community and breaking down boundaries and inviting the kingdom of heaven to earth. It's not extravagant. It's not a church service. Um, it's not, you know bringing people somewhere to listen to an amazing speaker. Uh, it's actually just inviting people into your home, sitting around a table, being vulnerable enough to open your world to theirs. I'm going to invite you to stand. Um, and I invite you as, as we sing this song to allow um, God to just challenge you a little bit on, God, where have I actually made excuses um, and stopped inviting people into the ordinariness of my life. And could you highlight for me what it might look like to be intentional and on mission in a very simple thing like drinking a coffee or having a meal with somebody? Is there something that I can do, that our family can do to up that intentionality? Let's sing together. <laughs>